You don't lose your wife when you have children. You gain kids. Right? <laughs> and if we, but we both need to be on board. So is your relationship going to look the same? Absolutely not. Is she going to be in the mood to be intimate with you in the same way? Probably not. Are you going to have her undivided attention? Impossible. Are you going to be asked to do a lot more things than you did before you had kids? A hundred percent. Right? So that's the first thing. The first thing is that we, we recognize that life is going to change, but our relationship, our connection, our bond doesn't have to. You must be some kind of therapist. I am some kind of therapist, and I'm about to take you on a journey through the inner wilderness. I've invited brilliant guests from all walks of life to join me as we investigate, illuminate, and inspire transformation in ourselves, intimate relationships, and the social ecosystems we are constellated in. What you are about to hear may surprise you, so hang on to your earbuds for a hefty dose of sanity in a chaotic world. I am Stephanie Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist, branching out and building bridges between psychology and everything else under the sun. It's my honor to have you along for the ride. Let's get started. Today, my guest is David Feldman. He's a licensed professional counselor in Illinois and the founder of Building Great Marriages. David is passionate about educating people on what makes for great marriages and helping people improve their um, happiness and relationships. So I'm excited to hear what kind of wisdom he has to offer us today. Welcome, David. Hey, Stephanie. It's great to be here. Really excited to be on your podcast. Great to have you. All right. So tell people about how you got into this work. Sure, sure. So um, I've been like a very connecting person ever since I was a little kid. For, For some reason or another, and I haven't quite figured it out yet, even in like third grade, all the kids would come tell me all their personal problems <laughs> and share with me all the details of their love life. Um, and so I've always been attracted to relationships and helping people with their relationships. And uh, I got married when I was pretty young, 24, and I had to you know, make a living for my family. So I went into technology for many, many years. And at some point, I, my early 40s, I just decided that I had been staring at a screen and writing code for long enough, <laughs> and I wanted to connect with people on a deeper level, you know, not just business meetings. And so I went back to school and got my master's degree. It was kind of funny in school because, you know, I went back for family, marriage and family therapy, and most of the, I'm going to call them kids, pardon me for if you're 22 years old, but I'm still going to call you a kid. Most of the kids in school were obviously unmarried and with no kids. By that time, I had been married for, I don't know, 20 plus years and had six children already. And it would just be really funny to talk about all these marriage issues and stuff with with the rest of the class. Uh, But it was quite interesting. Um, And it was really pleasurable. I learned a lot. And uh, a lot of the techniques that that it kind of naturally done, but not really professionally. And um, ethical issues and, uh, you know, the more professional side of what it means to support another person, you know, not just being a good listener, but understanding the consequences and 
and um, the risks, you know, uh, as well as different modalities and different therapeutic methodologies that just made connecting with people really great. And so I did my program and uh, I started practicing, thank God. And I've loved, I love doing it. I love working with people. I love listening to their stories and their issues and seeking out, you know, uh, solutions and emotional support. And, uh, and yeah, my, my practice building great marriages is very successful in helping couples, you know, rekindle the intimacy that I know is in every couple. That's like a big part of my practice. It's like probably the core is bringing back that goodwill, love, appreciation, gratitude, and passion. It's all there. We just have to bring it to the surface. That's for sure. You talk about rekindling intimacy. Are a lot of the people who come to you many years into their marriages? Um, yeah, I mean, I have all different types of people. Some some are like earlier today, I just got off the phone with a young couple that has is not married yet, you know, so they came to me before they got married. Um in this particular situation, they're also like a kind of abstinent, you know, sexually abstinent, which is very interesting because I'm trying to just, part of what I do is I work with, you know, I have a whole module on sexuality. So it's just very interesting talking to this young man about, <laughs> you know, sex, even though he's never had sex before, you know, and, um, and some of them have just been married and they're, they're struggling in their first couple of years. And unfortunately, I also just earlier today was on the phone with the woman who's been married for 40 years and she's struggling, you know. So m- many of the issues are the same. You know, we, we all go through very similar building blocks in terms of creating intimacy and creating a long lasting marriage. So I prefer it when people come to me when they're younger so they don't have to deal with it when they're older. Do you work with people at all points from premarital to many years into marriage? It also sounds like you work with people individually about how they're feeling and doing in their marriages as well as with couples. Yeah. I mean, the way, the way that I prefer to work, and this is interesting, an interesting conversation for this particular um, podcast specifically, because it's therapeutic, therapist oriented um, I have a unique way of working with couples, and that's basically I rarely meet with them together. So it's a little different therapeutic model. I don't have uh, the men and women or whoever it is uh, meeting with me together at the same time. And when people ask me why, I always say, well, why would I put a hungry lion and an angry tiger in the same room together to see what happens? <laughs> I'm just totally, I don't like playing referee and I'm not inter- interested in that at all. Um, so most of the work that I do with couples is within the context of couples therapy, but independent. And I find that that works really, really well because it allows each participant to be open and honest. It allows them to be vulnerable it allows them to share where they failed as where as well as where as well as where they feel like they succeeded and it gives me the proper feedback to know where i need to step in and help prop up the different aspects of the relationship i found that oftentimes what happens when the couples are together is that one person's going to express a need 
and then the other person is going to get defensive, right? So, so there's two things that happens when that happens. There's actually more than two things. Let's just say there's at least three things that are occurring right then. The first thing is we need to work on communication, right? Because that person may be expressing something in a way that is dysfunctional. The second thing that needs to happen is that um, the person who's receiving the information may be overly defensive. So we have to work on some confidence building and an ability to listen. And the third thing that's happening is the need itself. So I, when, if, if that's what happens when they're both in the room, when they're not in the room and I hear this person expressing a need, I can actually work with the couple on all three of those things separately. I can work with her on how does she could say that to her husband in a way that he can hear. I can work with him, which is what I do. These are all modules in my program. I can work with him on how to receive criticism without feeling attacked. And then and the third thing we do is we can actually address the actual issue that she's having, which is just fantastic because I can get all three of those things done without fighting and wasting a session fighting about it. You said these are modules in your program. Tell us about the program. Yeah, so I have what's called a, a couples workshop program. And it's basically, um, it's a total of 17 sessions. And what we do is we cover five major pillars of marriage. So we cover goodwill, which is the foundation of any marriage. It's like the first thing I do with couples is I raise the positivity. It's so important. I have found just in general, if you're a therapist and you're working with couples, my advice to you is that the, the most powerful thing you can do, for even more than communication and all this other stuff, which is all important, but pales in comparison. When you up the vibe in the marriage and the relationship, so many times I've heard after we've done that, even for as little as three or four weeks, the couple comes to me and says, I don't even remember why I came to you. Like I, Everything is going so well. I don't even remember what, what was I upset about in the first place, you know? So many of the other problems fall away when there's love and goodwill, appreciation, gratitude, kindness, right? Positivity, flowers. You know, there's so many of the of the um, negativity falls away. So that's the first module that we work on. The second one, we talk about communication. We, talk, we have a module on listening. We have a module on setting boundaries and a module on sexuality, how to have a long-lasting sex life within relationship. And we do this over the course of about 15 sessions. And then for the women, they get a chance to work with my wife, who is a mind-body somatic healer. So she does, she helps women kind of work through maybe some trauma that they're holding on to, you know, what woman doesn't have resentments that she still has from who knows, from who knows when, you know, and she helps them process that through through their body. It could be something stuck that they just can't let go of and that's infecting their lives. And it's not, when my wife works with them, it's not always about the marriage. It could be that she's angry at her mother-in-law or she could be something against her teacher or her boss or something. But these are pieces of her that are just holding on to something that's affecting her in general. So I love the program. I find that people really do well and they learn some basic skills that I think that if all of us, myself included, I have to work on myself all the time. But if you can get these down and they're not that complicated, you can have a great marriage. I love how you introduced goodwill as foundational because it just 
colors so many things, doesn't it? Right? Like your motivation to do the work, your willingness to give the benefit of the doubt. You know, I think a lot of the Gottman concepts, like softening your startup, um, being willing to learn from each other, having a spirit of teamwork and cooperation. And I do think that that lays the foundation. Um, that and I think you mentioned some some things about reducing defensiveness, right? And that that's actually one of the reasons that you often work with people separately. I do that in the context of working with people together, but I really slow it down and I try to use the time that we have to help them gain some tools that are going to make it easier to go back and be less defensive when I'm not around to moderate, sure. right? I think sure. just defense in some ways is the first offense and and you have to kind of notice that moment that your goodwill is isn't there so much, right? Because if you're feeling that like, but wait a minute, you know, if you're feeling that defensiveness, then are you really able to offer the best of yourself? Oh, Um, sure not. Yeah. That's one of the exercises I do. um, You know, in my first few sessions, usually in the first, I, I ask them, you know, three ways their marriage can improve. Right. And I am interested in those three ways and I will, write them down, but that's not the, I only do that to get to the next question, which is, okay, give me five ways your marriage is going well and why your wife is such a special person. It, it, once I get them start, like at first they're just kind of like, you know, they're like silence. Like, well, I can't think of any reasons, you know, she's, you know, she's, she's nice woman, you know, or something like that, you know, nothing really that, but once I start getting them, once I get them started and get them on a roll, I've never had less than 20 things that they've said about their wife. Like she's generous, she's charitable, she's kind, she's giving, she's loving, she's sexy, she's pretty, she's smart, she's attentive, she's compassionate. I mean, just they just keep going, <clears throat> but they're so out of touch. When they get to me, they're so out of touch with all those things, you know? And my number one priority is to get them back in touch with why they think their spouse is fantastic. They fell in love with them because of those reasons. She hasn't changed. She didn't get a lobotomy, right? So <laughs> all those things are still there. It's just that they're, the person is so far removed that they don't connect to them anymore. And then, like you said, once you don't connect to them anymore, then comes out the defensiveness, then comes out, well, why should I do this if she's not doing that? Or last week she said this, or... I'm angry heard about that, or what's the point, right? But once you get them riled up in terms of why they fell in love with her, how amazing this woman is, and what a what a gem she is as a person, ah, the floodgates are open. They're willing to do any of the work you need to do. And then I always do a little trick. Um, I'll tell you a little secret that I do, which is really good. So usually I meet with the guy first, but then I meet with the woman and she comes along and she's like, he doesn't this and he doesn't that and da-da-da-da-da. And at some point during the session, I say, you know, your husband really loves you. She goes, I don't feel that. And I say to her, here, let me read to you what, what, what he told me about you. Oh, if this doesn't melt her heart, by the time I'm at number 10, she's either crying or she's just completely silent. She probably hasn't heard these things in 10 years or whatever it is. She has no idea that he feels this way about her. And it's like her heart just totally opens up, you know? 
And that's such an important part of, I think, as a therapist, what we need to do to bring people together, you know, because those are the real, that's the real relationship. That's how we really feel. All this other stuff that we're fighting about, that's not really us. All this other stuff that we're fighting about, that's not really us. You know, that's us being affected by the difficulties of living life in this world, right? That's not how I really feel about you. The way I wrote out on this paper and the way I explained it to my therapist, that's how I feel about you. That's what's really in my heart. We just need to expose it and share it. Do you think that, um, I, I feel like I've anecdotally observed men make this mistake a lot, and it, it sounds like I'm hearing you say this. Do you think that uh, husbands sort of take for granted that, of course, she knows how I feel about her and forget that they have to actively <laughs> express it, usually verbally? Oh, my gosh. You've heard that joke, right? Why does she need to tell me? Why does she need me to tell her, tell her I love her? I told her that 20 years ago under the altar. Right? Nothing's changed. If it changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> I totally agree with you. And I think it is very common. In general, I would say that in, in general, you know, men don't realize one thing that men probably don't realize. And, you know, I'm a traditional Jewish man, so my my perspective may be different than maybe some of the more liberal modern perspectives. But one thing that many men don't realize is to what extent a wife's happiness is dependent on how she perceives her husband feels about her. I know it's a little convoluted what I just said, but many men don't realize this. They don't realize that when they express something negative, it's like a sword to her heart. They don't realize that when they express something positive, it fills her with joy and and positivity and, and love. They don't get it because that in many ways is not the way a guy is. Men are not like that as much in my prof- in my opinion. I mean, a guy does a good job, you know, a guy hits a home run on the on the on the on the field and everyone high fives him and but you know, he's he's torn down a little bit later in the locker room like everybody else. Right? He's not he's not turned into, you know, there's a limit to what how guys, how much men are going to praise each other. Right? So we, we, we don't, we have a little bit of callousness around this idea. And so therefore, you know, when it comes to a wife, we may think that they're kind of like us, you know, and they don't, I said that I love you unless anything's wrong. Why wouldn't you just believe that? You know? And so one thing that I try to work on with men is I have this exercise called, it's a, it's a gratitude exercise. Where they have to they have notice something every day that their wife does that's worthy of praise. And then they have to text her that every day and um, attach it to a feeling. So, wow, I noticed I noticed that you went to work today and you dress so professionally. I'm so happy to be married to a woman who is so responsible. Right? Just a simple gratitude. Oh, I, I saw how you handled you know, our son Timmy today when he was crying. You're such a compassionate woman. Thank God you're the best mommy that our children could have. Right? Just simple. Nothing, no Romeo, Juliet, no Shakespeare, no nothing. You see something, you say it once a day in text. Right? And over time, 
it's amazing how transformative that practice is to the entire relationship. And, and every woman, every person is deserving of appreciation and praise. There's no excuses why you can't do it. I don't care if you're upset at your wife. What difference does that make? <laughs> There's tons of stuff that she's doing that's right. Start pointing it out and watch what happens. If you were to come to me as a client and tell me you were feeling grumpy, irritable, lethargic, stressed out, or unfocused, I'd want to do a thorough assessment of your lifestyle. And one of the first elements we'd look at is the quality and quantity of your sleep. You need at least a good seven hours of refreshing sleep every night in order to be your best self. There are many things that can get in the way of that. A demanding job, a new baby, or just plain bad habits, for example. But if you're having difficulty falling or staying asleep for the simple reason that you're too hot, you're too cold, or you and your partner don't agree on the temperature, look no further. I have just the thing for you. And since this is not therapy, but a podcast, I can actually sell you stuff. So I'm going to genuinely recommend that you check out the Pod Pro Cover by 8Sleep. It's the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. The cover can adjust the temperature on each side of the bed individually for you and your partner based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. Personally, I have mine set to run on autopilot so that my bed is warm when I get in, cool in the middle of the night, and warm again when it's time to wake up. I sleep very soundly this way. Improving your sleep is one of the best investments you can possibly make in your overall well-being, the quality of your work, and the lives of the people you touch. So go to 8sleep.com to check out the pod and use the code SOMETHERAPIST at checkout for up to $200 off your purchase. Even if they're already running another sale, this code will get you an additional $50 off. And to my listeners around the world, 8sleep currently ships not only within the USA, but also to Canada, the United Kingdom, select countries in the European Union, and Australia. All right, now back to the show. It's so important to feel seen. And those examples you gave are very specific ways of showing someone, I see what you're doing, and I see what it reflects about your character. And that's why and, I love you. And, yes, yes, good. And the last line is very important. And, th- and it means something to me. Yes, that's very true. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we're talking, you know, along very traditional lines, right? Kind of traditional men, traditional women, traditional marriages. And you share that that's influenced by your Orthodox Jewish background. So, you know, not everything we talk about is going to apply to everyone. And that's okay. Um, but for people who do, you know, whether whether because it's their temperament and personality or whether it's because their kind of worldview, for people who resonate more with those traditional roles, um, we talk about how one of the primary needs that a lot of women have is to feel seen and appreciated and and that that has to come verbally um what would you say are some of the maybe parallels the kind of core needs that men might have that women easily forget about sure sure absolutely so well um I don't feel that women easily forget about them. I feel that women are get blocked from expressing them. There's a difference there. I think every woman knows what makes her <laughs> I think every woman knows what makes her husband happy. She just doesn't want to do it. She's just she's she doesn't want 
to give him what she already knows he needs. With men, it's different. They're just are you just talking about sex? Be, no. Okay. No, well, no, let, I'm not. Just let's yeah. spell it out. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'm about to get there. Okay, good. All right. So, um, attention, affection, compassion, intimacy, time, um, support, emotional support, um, ego boosting. Um, leadership, respect. These are all things that I feel that an angry woman, a resentful woman, is going to withhold. And not on purpose, not because she's a bad person, but just because her heart doesn't allow her to show up in that way. You know? And... um Unfortunately, for women and for their husbands, it's pretty easy for a woman to find herself in that situation. It doesn't take much to hurt your wife. So, and then it doesn't take much for her to get stuck in that perspective. So, one of the exercises I do for the women that I work with is I have a worksheet called, um, it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's called my amazing hubby worksheet. (laughs) I have an amazing hubby. (laughs) And what we do in this worksheet is we, we go over why she fell in love with him and what he's doing right. And it's very transformative because it helps her widen her perspective. I am very careful never to diminish what her issues are. That's That for sure I can't do. I don't want to do that. But what I also don't want, what I would like to educate her or show her is that the man who she's living with is more than just the areas that you're upset about. And it's, it's heart opening for her to start looking at him in a bigger perspective. And when we do that, and when she, and not every, by the way, I I often try try to do that in the first couple of sessions, and some women are just, they can't. They just can't. They're coming to me thinking that now's their chance to, (laughs) to throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at their husband. And I want to give them that opportunity. But at some point, we turn the corner when they're ready, and we have to we have to discover why the man she's currently married to is actually an amazing husband, and that opens her heart to be able to give to him those things. I find that women are naturally very attuned with their husband's needs. They don't forget. They're not ignorant. <laughs> that's the definition of a woman, right? I mean, uh, think about why women are so such good mo- mothers because they instantly see what their children need, right? So husband's no different. 
you just have to get the boulders <laughs> of bitterness and resentment out of the way. And a large part of that has to do with the work that he's doing as well. Bringing home flowers every Friday night, sending her gratitude notes, reducing negativity, agreeing not to fight and argue, stop using negative words, you know, focusing on what she's doing, on, you know, sending her a message every day about what she's doing right. This warms a woman's heart to then, I don't need to train women on how to be good wives. I just have to release them from their anger and then automatically they're good wives, most of them. I don't know. What do you think about what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to say some things that are not PC and and you're also saying things that are not PC because (laughs) we're acknowledging that there is something to traditional gender roles and that there are natural differences between men and women. And I attribute a lot of that to our evolution um, you know, I recently heard Jordan Peterson say that he doesn't think that women's, uh, that our psychology is even built around what's in our best interest because it's built around what's in the the mother-infant dyad's best interest, interest right? And I, I explain this to a lot of my female clients because a lot of people who come to me for individual therapy are, uh, tend to be women who are, uh, tend towards depression and anxiety, low self-esteem, uh, weak boundaries they've been taken advantage of and uh and i i find myself saying sometimes you know um having low self-esteem opens you up to mistreatment and let's think about some of the reasons why we're prone to neuroticism as women we're prone to neuroticism because we're designed to be sensitive to the needs of helpless little beings that are dependent on them on us right so of course we're going to be more sensitive than men. It's it's adaptive for us to be really sensitive and for men to be less sensitive because they're there to protect us and to face the threats of the world for us. If you look at our evolutionary biology, that doesn't mean everyone's going to want to fit into those roles in a world where we have modern choices. But, um, you know, and I say this to women, and I especially observe this actually in women who are single or uh, don't have kids uh, either because they don't have them yet or because they're not planning on having them. Uh, sometimes that maternal instinct, I see it coming out toward men, um, especially when there aren't children involved. And uh, I, I see women kind of infantilize and coddle their immature boyfriends and husbands. And uh-huh. if a man hasn't found his own dignity and desire to be a respectable person, then, you know, if he's just stuck kind of immature, selfish being a taker, he'll just he'll just let that play out. And what happens in those types of relationships is, and I have explained this to, to women who've been, you know, emotionally kind of victimized by this, is that I think when a man knows that he's not worthy of this level of attention and forgiveness and graciousness and generosity that she's extending, rather than feeling appropriate shame, if he's emotionally immature, right? Uh, Rather than feeling, wow, she deserves so much better. I got to step it up and treat her the way she deserves. Rather than feeling that, uh, unconsciously, you get the, this kind of mechanism of, by which we seek to minimize cognitive distortion by rationalizing in a way that he actually further devalues her in her in his mind. So rather than thinking I'm not worthy of this type of treatment, 
he thinks all of this energy I'm getting from her must not be worth very much because she's whatever. She's worthless, right? And I think that porn culture and things like that make this a lot worse. So I I see people getting hurt in those types of relationships because of the types of, you know, young women that I work with. Um, But I'm trying to bring it back. Okay. So I, it's been my observation when it comes to the differences between men and women that men need women to set the bar. And if we set it this high, He's going to rise this high. He's going to enjoy the challenge and he's going to feel pride and dignity and self-respect, right? And if we set it low, he's not going to rise any higher than that because, you know, why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? And he's not going to self-actualize. Whereas uh, women, I don't think we actually need men to set the bar for us because I think we have that maternal (laughs) instinct, Oh my gosh, you know, imagine we, a man trying to set the bar. <laughs> but the thing is, women act like they do. You know, oh the thing goodness. is that like we do all these things to our appearance. I mean, we make so much more of an effort with our appearance and and yet we're the ones who are pickier. It doesn't even make sense, right? So so let me back up a second though. Um you know, I think men need women to set the bar. And then that's going to affect how hard they try. Um, Women don't need men to set the bar because that maternal instinct, unless we're very conscious of it, if we don't have children already, that maternal instinct is going to come out towards the men in our lives and we're going to become overly nurturing. Um, And what I see in a lot of marriages that break down in the first few years of being parents is that uh, the couple kind of discovers that part of how they were surviving as a couple before kids came into the picture was that she was actually being maternal toward him. And then once a baby comes into the picture, all of that nurturing energy is going towards the baby and he needs to step up. And and then suddenly there's, you know, the bar just got raised dramatically and he's not used to it. And uh, that can create problems. So For I think sure. that that men need a certain amount of challenge. I think that you know, I'm not a religious person, but I think one of the value one of the values that religion offers people, uh, and different re- religions do it differently. Maybe if you want, you can share what yours does. But it is is that it it tells people what their role is, what they're expect you know what's expected of you as a man or a woman, a, a you know mother, father, husband, wife. It says like here are the standards of how to perform this role in a dignified, respectable manner. And, and I think that's actually comforting for people, right? And when we're not held to some kind of standards, then, uh, you know, maybe we hold ourselves to some standards. Maybe we have some values to aspire towards, but also maybe our lower nature just kind of uh, pulls us down towards entropy. So I agree with a lot of what you have to say about how women do, you know, we are naturally attuned, emotionally intelligent. We want to be nurturing, but we're also sensitive to hurt re- and rejection, we need to we need proactively regular demonstrations that we are seen and appreciated um, in order to not pile up those resentments. I also think there's something about attention to detail. Again, looking at it from an evolutionary lens, uh, as a woman, it's very adaptive to be sensitive to a lot of details because there are so many things that could kill your baby, right? Um, and 
right? Well, it's and, so funny that you, you call yourself not religious, but you literally are mimicking like every traditional religious trope that they could possibly be. I mean, you're well, hitting I'm it guessing to that I, I'm, <laughs> I more have like an evolutionary biology view, and I even see religion serving a role within evolution. And I think a lot of the problems with society that I see are because of a misplaced religious instinct. I think we need religion. Uh, and I say that as somebody who doesn't have one, <laughs> but I, I think that there's an important, there are many important roles that it plays to have some kind of guidance, some kind of framework for how you're supposed to live life. So I, I do think that we, you know, there are good reasons that traditional gender roles exist. And there are good reasons that just like women are naturally so sensitive and attuned and nurturing, uh, that men are not because, you know, it, it pays to not be so sensitive when you're responsible for hunting, butchering, surgery, war, taking out the garbage, uh, <laughs> you know, killing things. In the, in the and, dark of night, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and but then what happens is that when it comes to being domestic together, um, many of the domestic responsibilities that are traditionally more associated with the feminine role, if both parties are working – um, and, you know, if you're trying to divide responsibilities equally, women are frequently frustrated by men's lack of attention to details around the house. Men don't see clutter or they don't see dust or they don't see thing, the, the little details. They, don't, they have more focused awareness, less kind of broad dispersed awareness. Again, here's that evolutionary lens, right? Women traditionally being gatherers, we had a baby on one arm, we're carrying on a conversation with our sister and our auntie right here, and we're picking berries all over the bush, right? Our attention is dispersed. We're picking up on many things at once. Men, on the other hand, you're on a hunting mission. You're silent. You're not talking to the guy next to you and you're watching single pointedly, right? So it's about how our attention kind of naturally goes. And then I, I think that, I mean, I am in no way advocating that we should all go back to, you know, women staying home and taking care of the children. Obviously, like, I'm very passionate about my career. I love having a career. And I've chosen not to have my own children. I have stepchildren, and they're wonderful. Um, and I really enjoy seeing my partner as a father. Um, but that said, I, I think that there are reasons that these roles exist. And there are reasons that we see kind of the same problems over and over in so many different heterosexual couples because we just have different natures. As a therapist, I've gotten an up-close and personal view at what people tend to struggle with day in and day out. Turns out, it's almost universal that we know we should be taking better care of ourselves in terms of the basic building blocks of well-being like diet and exercise. But as valuable as it is for our mental and physical health to change our lifestyle habits, it's also much easier said than done. People often set goals that are too lofty, only to feel even worse about themselves when their aspirations inevitably fail. That's why I recommend starting with positive changes that are as simple as possible. Enter my new favorite beverage line. Organifi makes it so easy to improve your nutrition and start feeling better right now with refreshing plant-based blends of superfoods and adaptogens that you can just mix with water. My personal favorite is their green juice. It contains moringa, ashwagandha, chlorella, spirulina, wheatgrass, beets, turmeric, mint, lemon, and coconut water. 100% organic with no added sugar. And it tastes great. My family loves Organifi Gold, which promotes relaxation and restful sleep, served mixed with warm almond milk before bed. 
Organifi also makes several other powerful blends, all organic and loaded with vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients, anti-inflammatory herbs, and adaptogens. For less than $3 and 3 grams of sugar per serving, you can start giving yourselves the support they need to manage stress and feel good. Check out their product line at Organifi.com. That's spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. And use promo code SOMETHERAPIST to get 20% off your entire order. Your whole body will thank you. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And that, that's a that's a big part of what I do also with, uh, with, and it sounds to me like you do as well. You, you touch upon this as well in, in your practice, but you know, um, even if you want to talk about sexuality, you know, like it's just so different, you know, and we, I think couples tend to get upset at the other couple because they don't do things the way that they do it. And as you mentioned, so much of this is gender-based with exceptions with except there's always going to be that woman who acts more like a man and a man who's more feminine. But just as a whole, it's very difficult for couples going into marriage thinking that men and women are similar, which they're not. <laughs> I mean, we both have arms and legs and a head, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, other than that, we it's like we couldn't be more different. It's really funny too, because when I when I married my wife originally, I met my wife when I was 17. And when we got married, we thought, oh my gosh, we're so the same. Like, oh my gosh, we see everything the same way. And we I've been married for 30 years. The longer I'm married to her, the more different we see. It hasn't gone the other way, it hasn't gotten more similar. The more different we we understand each other are from each other, you know? And so I think that pointing out differences and having that reference base to normalize, uh, you know, you were, you were mentioning before about the woman having higher standards and the standards that women set, you know, even if you want to, even just from a theological perspective, I mean, that's the whole story of Adam and Eve, right? I mean, Adam and Eve, you know, Adam was alone in the garden and, you know, sitting there playing, eating Doritos and playing video games, you know, and God said, uh, you know, the, God said, you know, this is not good that man should be alone. So what did he do? He cut off half of his body. And he says, okay, now you've got a woman, right? And the first thing she did to him was, you know, <laughs> get moving, get out, start building the world. What are you sitting around playing games for? You know, it's like, this is the, the very first story of an interaction between men and women. This is the nature of that story, you know, and from a spiritual perspective, it says that you know men come from the from the in the Jewish Kabbalistic perspective, which is Jewish mysticism. You know, it, it teaches that men come from the world of chachma, which means wisdom and um, kind of spontane- spontaneous creativity, whereas women come from the world of bina, which means understanding. And so, um, we, our natures are different. Men are more absent or abstract. And women are more detail-oriented. That's their job, right? The job is that a man shares his wisdom, his spontaneous creativity, and then a woman takes that and creates something greater than what the man could have just created on his own. And that's reflected in all aspects of our life. It's it's, It's reflected in the sexual relationship. A man takes what he does, gives it to the woman, and she returns to him a baby. And that famous phrase from whoever that gentleman was that there's memes all over the internet, you know, I give a woman a house and she returns back to me a home, right? This is our, this is our women femininity create life in, in all aspects of living, not just a baby, even though that's probably the most important part, but 
or one of her most important functions, obviously for the health of the race, you know, the civilization. But um, and to and to work with the couples and let them in on some of the wisdom that you have, from, whether it's from evolutionary biology or maybe from my perspective, from more of a spiritual perspective, it's such a gift because it's just like, now I understand why my wife is always giving me a hard time. You know, and now I get it, you know, or maybe the woman will, maybe you're speaking to a woman, you can say, oh, now I get why he doesn't, you know, he's always loses his keys and he's constantly bothering me to find out where did he put the keys, whatever it is that, that's going on in the home, you know? And so I agree with you. I mean, it's such an important role that we play as therapists to kind of normalize and educate and share with our clients what we see as natural instead of letting them get all uptight and feel like there's something wrong with their relationship, which is the worst feeling to have. So you've talked about how one of the key elements of what you do is raising the vibration by reminding people of why they're so grateful for their spouse. Um, But you also talk about how resentment can be a blockage. So besides just increasing goodwill, I mean, that seems like a first step. What do you do to um, help get help people get unstuck when there are these long built up resentments? Sure, sure, of course. <sighs> long built up resentments are the worst. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, the first thing is there has to be a safe space for that person to share their feelings. That's the most important thing. More important than anything is to be heard and understood. If you're not heard or understood, there's very little chance. I mean, you could do personal work on yourself to say, well, I don't really care if this person feels this way about me, but that's really hard when it's your spouse. The most important thing is to to help that couple create a safe space where the hurting party can share vulnerably their feelings. Right? That's not easy because you have to teach two things. You have to teach somebody how to communicate, right? She can't come along and say, two years ago when you said this to me, you were being such an asshole, right? She can't say that because he's not going to hear that, right? So you have to work with her on how to, first of all, you got to get her in touch with her own feelings. That's a whole therapeutic process. You can do anything for that, EFT or cognitive behavioral, whatever you want to do, but she has to get in touch with her own feelings. Then she has to be able to express them. Right, And she has to be able to share them in a way that can be received. And then you have to work with him on learning how to receive those feelings and own it. And that's not easy either. It can be done. It's not that hard. It, it's just, it needs to be a process that's, that you work towards. Because when they first walk in the door, there's no way he's doing that. And there's no way she's going to be able to tell him how she feels. So you have to build up the trust, the goodwill, the love, the desire to move forward. And then you have to create a safe space where she can do that. And that's like in my program, I do have two or three joint sessions. And the joint sessions are all scripted. I don't just invite them to come in and let's chat. It doesn't work that way. There's an agenda. I know what she's going to say and talk about. And I let him know what she's going to say and talk about. And I confirm with him about how he's going to respond. And it has to be authentic. If he's not ready to hear it, we don't have the session. If he can't own it, we don't have the session. And I work with him on all of his feelings. I say to him, how are you going to feel when she brings this up? 
How are you going to feel when she said that you crushed her? How are you going to feel when she said that she's been thinking about this every day for the last two years? What are you going to say? And if he's not prepared to apologize and to own it to the extent that he can, now I don't have people apologize for things that they can't apologize for. I'm not, this isn't, you know, you know, crush your partner day, but to the extent that he can own it, no fighting allowed, validate her feelings and take responsibility to the extent that he can. And if I'm not satisfied before the session happens, we don't have the joint, we, we postpone it to another time. But this is a crucial part because she needs to express herself. She needs to feel heard, validated, that he's owning it, responsible, and that he's going to change. And slowly, it doesn't have, even that session is not enough. He has to prove himself over time. So it becomes like a, a hot button in our therapy moving forward. Stay away from this. <laughs> Do not say that. You know, never make this mistake again. You know, so he knows, you know, and I find that it's, it's, it's nothing. I wish I had, like, I always tell my clients, I wish I had this magic wand that I could just go like this and everybody's happy. I'd love that, but I don't. So it takes work. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes will. It takes humility, patience. But if you want to do it, we can do it. You know, I don't know. What do you think about what I'm saying? I agree. Yeah. Um, I think that, and, and you talk about it needing to be a safe space and part of what makes it a safe space is you really assess, are they ready for this? Um, because it can be hard. It, It can be really painful to try to say something again that you've tried to say a hundred times before and didn't feel heard. And, you know, sometimes in therapy, I might be hearing it for the first or second or third time, but it's been expressed so many times and there's just so much hurt around how it hasn't felt heard before. So sometimes it kind of prep people, right? Like, and, and I will reflect when I'm reflecting the dance that two people are doing with each other, like, okay, he makes this bid for connection and he, let's say he admits fault and, you know, says something vulnerable or expresses a need. And then she go her next, if her next move is to go to criticism, then, okay, well now we can see how hard it is in this situation for him to make an effort, right? Because look what happens, that effort isn't rewarded. So I think another thing that Anyone That's could, really good, by the way. Could stand That's really to, good. to benefit from is thinking about, well, basic, I mean, it's behavioral conditioning. It's how do you not just tell someone what you want, but how do you effectively behaviorally train someone to do what you want? And train sounds weird. You know, it sounds like I'm talking about training your dog, but it's it's about kind of rewards and consequences, right? Like, if the consequence of doing something hurtful is um, that you're made to feel worse about yourself, obviously that doesn't feel good. But I think a lot of people get caught in a cycle where there's only negative consequences and they miss out on that part of 
rewarding what you do want. So I think if someone's going to make some kind of gesture, um, even if it's not perfect, you know, you want to think about they're making a move in the right direction. How do I encourage that? Got to at least give them credit for the effort. Yeah. I also wanted to ask, you have six kids. Uh, (laughs) That can place quite a strain on a marriage. Um, You know, a lot of people, uh, the first few years of having kids is the roughest time in the marriage because there's such a change. Um, They're losing sleep. Um, That that affection uh, that the wife has normally for the husband is all getting redirected to the child. He feels left out. They're both overworked. Their priorities shift. Maybe there's a financial strain. Maybe there's loss of former hobbies and social supports from before they had so much responsibility. Um, how? What are, what are some of your personal secrets for success having a happy, healthy marriage when you're also responsible for six children? Uh, and how do you help people with common issues associated with having kids? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, parenting is a big, is a whole other dynamic, you know? Um, first of all, I, I wish I could say that I had a happy, healthy marriage my entire marriage. <laughs> it, we we were, you know, we quote unquote were victimized by perhaps my bad character for many years, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, No, I'm just being facetious. But yeah, we struggled quite a bit um, in many different areas because that's, like you said, the nature of life. It's a struggle. It's hard. One of the things that I always encourage the couples that I work with to focus in is um, we need to make our spouses the priority. Okay. This is a feeling and which, which eventually correlates to action which can never be compromised. So it's, you know, God, husband and wife, kids, okay? And we can't mix that up. So if your spouse feels that you're their priority, then even though his or her behavior is focused on something else at this moment, you still feel that connection. It's really when you start sensing that you've been replaced, that that's when the anxiety and the uh, insecurity and then the separation and coldness sets in. We see women do this, many women do this all the time with husbands who really need to focus on their career to get, like I had a friend of mine who was a lawyer, at, he, he became a lawyer later on in life and he had to do 80 hour weeks during his beginning law firm years. She never felt like he loved law more than he loved her because he always made her feel like she was the priority and that he was doing this for us. And that's the same thing with children. You don't lose your wife when you have children. You gain kids. Right? <laughs> and if we, but we both need to be on board. So is your relationship going to look the same? Absolutely not. Is she going to be in the mood to be intimate with you in the same way? Probably not. Are you going to have her undivided attention? Impossible. 
Are you going to be asked to do a lot more things than you did before you had kids? A hundred percent, right? So that's the first thing. The first thing is that we, we recognize that life is going to change, but our relationship, our connection, our bond doesn't have to. That's number one. The second piece of advice that I would give or what worked for me is to recognize that children are part of the mission of your marriage, if it is, right? This isn't something that's taking away from your marriage. This is the purpose of your marriage. And you are so grateful to have a woman in your life who is giving her 110% to the most precious things that you've ever helped create. Right? It says that parents are never really jealous of their children. They shouldn't be, at least. But in, by, by nature, unless there's something wrong with the parent, they're not jealous of their children. They're happy. So in a, in, a, in, a, in a healthy way, we need to focus on the fact that children are not a sideshow to what I'm doing here. It didn't just happen to be. This is why... I'm choosing to be in relationship with this woman, and this is one of our most important goals. So then it kind of takes the edge off the difficult times, and I'm not dismissing. I think you did a great job in (laughs) pointing out all the challenges of what it means to have children, and I agree with those things. But we can take the edge off of those things with those two perspectives. Number one, you don't lose a wife, you gain kids. Your, your, your wife is always your number one priority, and, and you are hers. So I know, for instance, in my family, my wife makes sure that when she makes dinner, that, you know, I make dinner, just, just to put it out there, I make dinner at least as much as she does. But at the times that she makes dinner, that it doesn't feel like she just made dinner for the kids and I can kind of fend for myself. I'm a priority in whatever is happening in the kitchen and, and vice versa, you know? And then, you know, that's just as an example. We have, we have time, intimate time for each other. We always keep that going. Very, very important. We, we shut the door. We lock our door. We never had that kind of home where the kids can just burst into the bedroom at any time. I mean, you and I can talk about this for hours. I don't want to take up your whole show, but there are certain things, basics that we need to do as parents to make that distinction between parent time and children time. And then, you know, I've, I've always felt very happy about each and every one of our children, part of what I've always wanted in life. So... If there are times when I miss my wife because she's taking care of the most precious things to me, I consider myself a lucky man. I hope you've been enjoying this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast. If you like what you're hearing, now's a great time to like, subscribe, follow, rate, review, or share. You can also support the podcast by visiting sometherapist.com shop, where you will find goods and services I have personally curated to support your well-being and enrich your life. We're just building the shop, so check back periodically and feel free to suggest recommendations. All right, now back to the show. What are some of the biggest challenges to modern parenting? And what are some of the most common struggles that you see in your clients? Um... I'll talk about at least one or two. And these might not be the biggest, but 
these are the ones that I'm familiar with. Oftentimes, there's a, uh, as we were talking about before, there's a lack of understanding between husband and wife over who is responsible and in charge of the children. Okay, so um, I'll tell you a, a, a short story that I that happened with me that kind of set my head straight. When I when we had our first children, when we had our first child, we would walk on on, on the Sabbath on our Saturday. We can't drive, so we so we walk our children, put them in a stroller, our baby in a stroller, and we would go to synagogue, me and my wife and our baby, and then we'd walk home. And the way home, invariably, the baby, he was, I don't know, six months old, would start crying. And he would cry literally every hundred yards. We had to walk a mile home. Every hundred yards, our baby would start screaming. So my wife would stop the stroller. And this could be in the middle of winter in New York. My wife would stop the stroller, go to the front of the stroller, you know, take off the little cover, start making faces and cooing noises, put the pacifier back in. It would take three or four minutes, and then we'd continue walking. It didn't take long before I got very frustrated with this methodology. <laughs> I said, let's just get home. I don't care if he's crying. Let's just get home where you can nurse him. It'll take us 20 minutes to walk home. Instead of the 45 minutes it's taking now, you'll nurse him. He'll be happy. You'll put him to sleep. We're done. We argued about this and we went to, the, we went to our rabbi. And our rabbi said to me, he says, is this, regarding, is this something regarding your children? And I said, yeah. And he says, he says, do you trust that your wife is a good mother? And I said, absolutely. And he said, do you believe your child's in danger? And I said, no. And he says, well, you must always listen to your wife when it comes to the baby. <laughs> I was like, really? Like, what happened to my say? Like, at least I should get 50%, right? Like, you know, half and half. And he's like, no. When it comes to the baby, when it comes to the children, you have to listen to your wife. And from then on, I my whole perspective of how we related to child raising changed. And it brought a lot more peace into the home. Because I stopped fighting with her, and instead I learned to support her in the way she chose to raise our young children. And I think a lot of couples don't understand this and end up fighting. He thinks that it's supposed to be done this way. She, as a woman, cannot do it any other way than what her heart and her brain is telling her to do. This is not going to happen. Right? So, so they end up fighting, and it causes a lot of um, discord. And so I think that when people get in tune with each other's strengths, a man needs to realize that this is an area that a woman has an incredible strength and intuition about. We need to learn to respect that right and when we when we let go and give her the space that she needs to be the mother that she really is i think there can be a lot of issues that just fall to the wayside with regards to parenting i don't know have you have you seen that before that does seem pretty self evident when it comes to raising babies because of that maternal instinct i mean she carried the baby in her womb she's nursing the baby she knows the baby um I think as well, you bring up a more general point about division of labor. 
And um, one place where I see some couples getting stuck unnecessarily is sort of assuming that both partners need to be involved equally in all decisions, even when one person cares more than the other or knows more than the other or has stronger feelings about it than the other. I think we have so many decisions to make in life. And if your other half can actually help take some of those decisions off of your plate and off of your mind, that's a beautiful thing. And I think where people get it wrong is either, you know, trying to care or research or participate more than they're naturally inclined to do in something that their spouse is actually well-equipped to handle um, or not trusting their spouse to make those decisions or um, mostly uh, not being grateful because the I think the biggest thing you can do to, to make a world of difference in that department is to learn to say things like, I trust your judgment. You always make excellent decisions when it comes to this, that, or the other, you know? Um, like I, I recall working with a couple where uh, he complained about her running things by him too much. So of course, part of what I want to do is shift how he was talking about that because yes, it's annoying, okay, in a certain context to be interrupted with, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? On the other hand, your partner's trying to include you in decision-making. That's a wonderful thing. But, you know, the one of the main tools I gave him was to change from expressing annoyance about that and irritation about her t- running things by him, which only made her more insecure and less confident in her decisions, was to instead say, I trust your judgment. You're so good at this. Thank you for being responsible for doing the shopping for our home or for making the decoration decisions or whatever it is. And, you know, it may or may not be associated with traditional gender roles, but oftentimes it is, you know, just things like that where one person cares more about a certain domain of your shared life. One person knows more, one person's better at it. And if you just express, thank you, I trust you. And the other thing is just to let them know what your parameters are, right? If if they have 20 different factors to take into account when making a decision about, let's say, how to organize the garage, um, tell them, well, as long as there's a shelf for my this and a box for my that, or as long as this item is within reach of this, you know, like tell them what specifically you need taken into account, then let them handle it. And most importantly, follow through, right? If, if you were given an opportunity to weigh in on a decision, and you said your piece or you chose to not say anything and then you're unhappy with the results, well, then behavioral conditioning, you just showed them that they shouldn't trust their judgment, that you're not going to be happy with their decisions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And, and, I, and I agree with what you're saying. It's, you know, saying I, I trust you. There, there was two points that I thought were really, you, you said everything you said made sense. Just two points that stuck out for me was that first piece, which is, you know, couching your approach with, I trust that you'll make the right decision, but in, but kind of like in the, in the opposite way too. So let's just say my wife has a decision to make 
And instead of me weighing in on her decision in what can oftentimes feel like a critical way, I can always start the conversation with, I trust that you're going to do the right thing no matter what I, I add, but this is my opinion on how it should be done. Right. So that already takes away so much of the, I feel like I'm being controlled. I feel like he doesn't trust me. You know, that's the first thing. I think that's very important, you know, going both ways. Um, because we want to be heard, but we don't want to override, you know. And and the second piece that I that I thought was really important also is that if your spouse is coming to you, especially if it's the feminine to the masculine running things by you, instead of it, it can be annoying, like you said, because oftentimes for men, we are usually categorized or classified as more decisive. That's just one of the one of the characteristics that many men have is that they it's easier for us to make decisions. We're more decisive. That's a masculine trait. Um, and just recognize that if she's coming to you, she's she's complimenting you, meaning she's saying, I need you. You know, I want you and I need you. You know, and that's why you're her husband. <laughs> like, why are you getting upset about that? That's what you signed up for, you know, that this is your gift to her. You know, her gift to you is that she's going to deal with this issue and she's going to make it beautiful. But your gift to her is supporting her and giving her the kind of the back the 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 backbone or the 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 support that she needs to feel confident in making her the choices that she's already come up with. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And again, I agree that if there's if she's coming to you with 20 things, you may want to say, "Okay, well, just whittle it down to the top 5 choices before you take up all this time." That's fair, but we, as men, we need to extend a lot of patience because the last thing you want to do, like you said, is make her feel even more insecure for needing you. I mean, if she, if she can't get your support, where is she supposed to go? You know, it's terrible. It's a, you know, very very sensitive around that area. So I liked both of the things that you were saying. I think another place where people get their wires crossed there is that women tend to be socially conditioned to put things forth in a very kind of gentle and passive way. Um, And sometimes it is because we're truly indecisive, but sometimes it's because we're just considerate of others and we're like, well, this is what I want, but, but, you know, does it work for everyone else? But I think sometimes we're so gentle with how we put things forth that we're not actually making clear that we have a preference. And Uh so I think that that it's almost indistinguishable how we express ourselves when, as you said, we actually do have a preference and we're just making sure it's okay, (laughs) right? Or we're looking for validation that our preference works for everyone versus when we would really like help making the decision. And so I think sometimes, you know, people end up hurting feelings because a woman will come to her husband just kind of actually wanting him to say, yeah, great choice. When she says, what do you think about this? And he's like, well, actually, you know, and, and she's like, well, that's not the re- response I was looking for, you know? <laughs> and then, but then there's other times that she really actually wants him to make the decision. So I think, yeah. I think a little bit of assertiveness, a little bit more assertiveness for women and a little bit of more attentiveness for men can kind of balance yeah. out that equ- equation. That's a good point. It, it could be that men aren't more decisive. It's just that they care less what other people <laughs> what other people think. And it would, could be that women are just as decisive. It's just they're more sensitive to what the other person wants. And that's another way of framing it, you know. Either Which, way, you, 
Yeah. Which is one of the reasons that I think it's so important for women to receive that validation of you make great decisions. Um, you know, sometimes a guy will just be like, I don't care, you know, whatever you want. Right. But that's, <laughs> that's still a little unsettling because we're like, but I want to make you happy. Right. So we need yeah. that. You make great decisions. I'll be happy with whatever you choose. Totally. Or, you know, if she's having a hard time choosing what to wear, you know, being proactive and saying, you look really beautiful in all of those dresses yeah. instead of, I don't care, just pick a dress, I right? Know. Well, in my relationship, my wife has already proclaimed clearly that she does not trust me at all because every everything she wears, I always says, look beautiful on her. And she's just like, I can't trust anything you say anymore. <laughs> I'm not asking you your opinion. <laughs> What's wrong? I'm being serious. You look gorgeous. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hey, you're being honest. Well, it's time to wrap up. Um, so, okay. David, thank thank you for this conversation. Uh, sure. Where can people find you and your work? Sure, sure. So, um, the easiest way to find me is in two places. So, you can go to my website, davidfeldman.com, D-O-V-I-D, feldman.com. That's the easiest. I'm sure we'll put it in the podcast notes. Um, but for more, let's just say, kind of fun conversation, I'm on Twitter at the same handle, David Feldman, and I tweet every day. I love getting to meet new people. Um, I love engaging with people who have comments on some of the um, tweets that I put out. It's always a little bit controversial, so uh, it can be a little exciting as well. You meet a lot of new characters out there. But yeah, Twitter's like my home online, basically. And uh, for people who are interested in the Building Great Marriages program, is that accessible at davidfeldman.com? Yes, yes. I have a whole section on the program. I have a podcast. I have masterclasses that are for free on, ma- on many of the topics that we talk about today. Um, I have a great blog with some really great articles. It's all right there. And um, many of the ideas that I've shared today, as many of the concepts that cover in the Building Great Marriages, is all for free on my website. Great. And is your podcast called Building Great Marriages? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. It's available everywhere that podcasts are found. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Yes, Stephanie. It's been fantastic. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast with Stephanie Wynn, LMFT. This podcast is produced by Eric and Amber Beals at Different Mix. Special thanks to the talented musician Joey Pecorero for our theme song, Half Awake. At SomeTherapist.com, you can find more information on any topic, guest, resource, product, or service you've heard of here today. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram at SomeTherapist. If you would like to ask a question, suggest a topic, be a guest, or invite me to speak, you can email us at hello at SomeTherapist.com. You can also send us a voice memo with your question, and we just might play it. Of course, just because I'm some therapist doesn't mean I'm your therapist. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. If you need help, ask your doctor or browse your local therapists online. And whatever you do next, please take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, move your body, get outside, and tell someone you love them. You're worth it.